0: Hey, what's going on everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It is June 4th, 2023, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC, or you can email me Jason at OverTheCap.com. Getting in a Sunday morning podcast this week. Uh, We had a graduation party to go to last night, 8th grade graduation for the kids. So, you know, they were all excited about that. Um, So by the time we got home, just was like, "Eh, I don't really feel like uh, recording um, so I figured I would kind of get this in because the week before I didn't do one because I was just too busy doing mainly yard work stuff and just some other things, I guess, that we had, uh, going on with the kids, you know, it's the end of the school year. So a lot of stuff, uh, goes on, I guess, with that. And, um, you know, so we'll, we'll see how the summer goes, but a bit busy couple weeks coming up here. Um, but we'll, we'll get around to. Doing the podcast at least every other week. So uh, Jacob had a party to go to that I didn't go to today. So I figured I would just try to sneak this one in now. Uh, No Nelly this week. Decided to record upstairs instead of downstairs. So uh, Nelly's doing good. Nelly will be back next week. But uh, last I checked, she was being lazy, hanging out uh, in her little house downstairs. So not too much going on in the uh, world of the NFL um, right now. This is kind of the the dead season um, with it. But... You know, a couple things here and there going on, but I I guess what I'll talk about this week, and it was what I was going to start with uh, last week as well, uh, and that's the Jimmy Garoppolo and a discussion about injury waivers in NFL contracts. You know, last week it was just a a thing on, um, you know, Pro Football Talk put out an article where they're making a big deal. I I thought it was just making way too much of a deal out of the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo has an injury waiver in his contract. And you know, Florio put out an article about it. immediately was like, "Well, you know, this isn't new. Like, he talked about the the contract being revised, and um, you know, the language language in the injury waiver. And it's like we we I talked about this on here, you know, two months ago. Um, you know, we we've had the numbers online, um, you know, since March. So it's not like this was anything new that." You know, certainly not any listener or anyone who goes to the website, um, you know, would have seen, you know, it, or, you know that, that they were unaware of. Uh, it's been there for some time that the, the Raiders did that contract differently after they went through the physical with him. So, you know, Florio gets all pissy when you, uh, you know, say, you know, it's not exactly new news. And you disagree with the assessment that you're making that big of a deal of it because he did. You know, he went down the you know, conspiracy theories of, you know, the Raiders signed him knowing he's never going to play football for him and they don't want to pay him, but they want to sell jerseys. And, you know, this is a good way to lure Tom Brady out of his little ownership portion of the team and get him back out on the field and all, all this different stuff, um, you know, that's there. But probably not a bad time to discuss injury waivers and just kind of using him as an example. So an injury waiver in a contract is not really uncommon um, it is less common for a star football player but it's not uncommon so you know an injury waiver is basically you, you go for a physical and when you get your comprehensive evaluation uh, from the team that team the their doctor is basically concerned about something and they're going to go to you with that concern and if the team has more leverage, they're probably gonna get you to sign an injury waiver. Injury waiver protects the team in the event that whatever that injury is that they discovered um, makes makes you unable to play football. Yeah, you know, that that's the bottom line, you know, if you re-injure it. So if you have a knee condition and you re-injure your knee in training camp, they can cut you without having to worry about anything. Um, you know, other than the signing bonus that's in a contract, which the Raiders did remove from Garoppolo's deal, but they didn't remove it. Uh, they they moved where it goes to. You know, the, the way that certain things were written, it made it sound like he took a pay cut to stay with Vegas. He didn't, uh, but he did move where that money is. So if that condition prevents him from playing football, it still gives the Raiders an opportunity to recover what would have been his signing bonus when he did the deal. But You know, there's a lot of players who don't get signing bonuses in contracts. You know, if it wasn't that the terms were kind of leaked out that, um, you know, he originally was going to get a signing bonus, nobody would really even know that that kind of change was in the contract. Um, But that that was related to the injury. You know, we again mentioned that here, that they they removed the signing bonus due to that uh, concern. But, you know, basically what, what you're doing is you have a protection of injury to any other part of your body. So in Garoppolo's case, it's his foot. You know, if he injures an arm, he's still protected just like anybody else. Um, but the signing the injury waivers basically comes down to leverage. You know, who has more leverage? Is it the team or is it the player? Um You know, in this case, I would say it was the team, Uh, not just because he signed the waiver, but just because you know Garoppolo is not a not a great quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. I can't imagine that there was a market for him outside of Vegas, and I would imagine that's probably one of the reasons why he agreed to this. You know, it's like you you weigh your options when you take on that waiver. Um, You're taking on that waiver because you believe that you can play football. Um, so you don't think it's really going to impact you. So, you know, you're, you're kind of taking that that side of it because you know that the the other deals that are out there are probably not that good because, you know, who, who would be the other team to even sign him to a deal? You know, may, maybe the Jets if the Rodgers thing fell through. Um, you know, so you end up signing the waiver um, to do your contract with that team. And, you know, that's what happened. It, it's kind of, it, in many ways, so the, this is the team protecting itself from catastrophe, right? The, you know, the ankle doesn't heal properly, gets infected, he never can play football again because of that. Um, you know, you, you're protecting yourself. It's no different than when a player takes an injury guarantee in a contract, they're protecting themselves. They're not hurt. They don't think they're going to get hurt. You're protecting yourself in the event you do get hurt. So it's just kind of the opposite of that in terms of risk and reward. But when players sign these injury waivers and the team signs them, the team believes the guy can play football. If they didn't believe he could play football, you wouldn't sign him. You're not signing him to sell jerseys. You're not signing him for the sake of signing him. If you don't think he can play football, you walk away. That's typically what happens. Right? Years ago, the Raiders signed Roger Saffold to a contract that you know seemed very, very bullish for him. And out of nowhere, cuz he didn't have an injury history that I can recall, you know, he failed his physical. And I figured it was just a way for them to get out of the contract because everyone seemed surprised by this. And what happened, the Rams signed him to a pretty lucrative deal, not the same deal. A couple days later, they had no concerns about this injury. And that's another thing. Doctors have different opinions and teams have different risk tolerances. When it came to Saffold, the Raiders at that point in time had a concern the Rams doing the same type of evaluation did not. You know, it's it's very possible another team would have looked at Garoppolo's foot and just given the check mark. I just don't think a, a team existed in that case. Um, but we we've seen this before, right? Michael Brockers signs with the Ravens. They say no, he goes to the Rams. There's no injury waiver. Now, the contract was not as lucrative as his first deal. Guarantee was not as good. But that's common, right? You you sign. When you sign with a team in free agency, that's often the best deal that's out there. When you flunk the physical, you know, time has passed. Other teams maybe you were talking to are now gone. Um, you know, there is a red flag now because one team did fail you. But. You know, a lot of these players get signed. The Bears failed someone last year, uh, defensive tackle, right? He signed another contract, perfectly fine, no issues. You know, Saffold, when I talked about him, he, he's only had one year in his career, and he's had a very long career um, where the injury, where and it probably wasn't even the same injury, but where he was injured. He's been one of the most durable players. Now, his career's winding down, but... You know, one of the most durable players. Um, You know, there was Ryan Grant, uh, who signed with the Ravens. They failed him on his physical. He took a one-year deal with Indianapolis. Now, he never kind of recovered from that, but it had nothing to do with the injury. He didn't sign an injury waiver there. They were were fine. It was just that their risk was we're only going to take one year on it. And I I think that's kind of a fair assessment. You know, if you're a team, when you sign these deals— whether it's injury, whether it's guarantees, um, whatever, you're basically looking for a player that is going to give you production for the length of the guarantee plus one season. That, that's what you need to make the contract successful. So, you know, an injury waiver is a way to protect yourself from a just a, a absolute catastrophe when you've been diagnosed with a preexisting condition. And again, it varies from team to team as to how that'll be. And uh, the one thing is that it is uncommon with star players, typically because those star players have leverage. So when a star player has leverage, um, you know, the team is not going to ask for that kind of stuff. You know, how how often do you hear about you know player signs a big extension or a big contract? Kind of sucks his first year. It you know, doesn't play up to the deal, and stories will come out. Oh, you know, he had a nagging injury when he signed. You know, but he he wanted to play through it because he wanted to to prove that he was he was playing on that contract rather than getting surgery to take get it taken care of and now the season's over now he's going to get surgery and watch out he's going to be back next year. It's like that that was pre-existing odds are. You know, did they just flunk him on it? I mean, did they just not see it? Did they not care about it? You know, so those, those kind of things happen. and But in this case, you know, I, I think it was just a situation where he knew there was no other contract anywhere close to this that was going to exist in the market. So he's willing to take it. But again, you're expecting him to play. If you don't expect him to play, you just don't sign it, just like all those other guys did. You know, They, they didn't, did not expect those guys to play. And in the Raiders, for their case, all they cared about was this year. You know, Peyton Manning signed an injury waiver, right? He had that neck injury in Indianapolis. When he signs with Denver, it's kind of sight unseen. Uh, Denver was willing to guarantee that first year's contract, no matter what. And let us be real there there's a there's a giant gap between what Peyton Manning was and what Jimmy Garoppolo ever has been. Um, so the the way Peyton Manning's worked was his salary was covered for his first year. His salary was sort of covered in the second year and in the the third year, his salary was not protected. If he had another injury for, it it was specific vertebrae, I think in the neck, um, you know, that if there was an injury for that. So basically if, if he re injured that, he would not collect his third year salary, even though it was injury protected, if something else occurred, um, you know, that, that caused him to be unable to play football, he still would have collected, uh, there was a way for them, basically if he was healthy enough but just couldn't throw the ball well anymore, they could have still gotten out of that second year's salary. There were there were still ways to do that. Um, but I, I don't believe it was specific on the injury at that point. You know, if he was injured, injured, I think they were still going to let that slide. But again, it, it was an injury protection. And similar to this one, it would go away after one year. Everybody gets wrapped up in the language that's in these things because, look, these things are written from a legal perspective to basically give you blanket coverage and they sound ominous, they sound crazy, whatever. It's basically blanket language for anybody, um, who signs these deals. So in Garoppolo's case, you know, and this is what people are making a, a big deal of, uh, player has been informed that he's at increased risk of further injury. Symptoms require surgery, permanent disability, loss of motion, other problems related to uh, the injury. Not including, but limited, uh, not limited to, further injury, instability, swelling, pain, injury to surrounding muscles and soft tissue, surgical management, arthritis, the need for treatments, disability. Understand such conditions has decreased his ability to play professional football. The continuing to play professional football may release in deterioration, aggravation, re-injury of the existing conditions, rendering him una- physically unable to perform the services that would be required of an NFL player of, uh, by an NFL contract. Uh, player understands the consequences of, you know, playing football, but he's willing to accept this waiver so he has a chance to do it. Um, you know, and then you get to this, you know, because he desires to play football, um, player... All his agents, representatives, heirs, anyone, and everybody that could be affiliated with the player discharges any kind of um, any kind of responsibilities, liabilities. The club, the owners, physicians, trainers, the NFL, anybody. Um, you know, if he has an aggravation um, of that injury, so you know, so. It sounds ominous. It's just what's in everybody's waiver. Um, You know, that that part is pretty standard. That part is pretty common. So, you know, it it doesn't give them the ability to, you know, just decide, oh, yeah, this guy can't play or, um, you know, we expect him to not not play, but we signed him anyway just to see what would happen. I mean, what would be worse for a team – walking away from this deal in March because you didn't think he could play or carrying him through the summer only to find out he can't play it, where now you've, you've ruined your draft, you've ruined your offseason because instead of getting rid of him and going down the, not a great rabbit hole, but going down the rabbit hole of, you know, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Jameis Winston or something like that, those kind of players, you've got nobody You know, you, you maybe have a chance to draft someone, but you're like, no, nah, we got Garoppolo. You know, and then your plan all along was that you were never going to play him where you knew he was damaged goods and he probably wasn't going to play for you. I mean, come on, that that's that's like not not the way you do that at all. You know, that that doesn't make any sense. That gets everybody fired. That gets every fan of the team just absolutely angry. You know, you're better off just not signing him in the first place. Now, will this injury prove to be something? It very well could. You know, just like any injury in the NFL. Just like any injury in whatever. You you don't know what's going to happen, um, you know, when you get cut open and they, they put things back together and you don't know how things uh, will possibly heal. And, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is one of the most injury-prone players in the NFL. So odds are he was going to miss a bunch of games anyway, just because he always does, it seems like. You know, he has trouble. You, know, you probably can't count on him 17. But really, it's just all about risk management, risk tolerance, and protecting yourselves. And what would have been worse for the Raiders, that he was hurt and... And never doesn't play it down for them, and they, they don't even get any kind of financial compensation for it. Yeah, teams take insurance policies out. Why? Well, you know, they're protecting themselves against the, the unknown, you know, for players. So, you know, to read into one player's contract and to think that, like, this is the most unique situation in the world, it's not. You know, Kyler Murray and his homework clause. Yeah, that was a unique situation. That that was something that was probably pretty telling about what they thought of their quarterback that they just signed to this massive contract. Injury waiver? Eh, is what it is. Um, You know, you'd be having the same reaction if he was just having a slow recovery from surgery. This just makes it sound worse because you're like, oh, well, they knew about it. It's like you should be happy that they knew about it and they put a you know, that they were able to get him to agree to a waiver, but you know, just not, not the biggest deal in the world. Um, so you wait to see how it goes, but injury waivers are not some random super uncommon thing. Um, not having a signing bonus in a contract is not a super uncommon thing. Um, having guarantees that can void for certain reasons, not a su- uh, super uncommon thing. So You know, you take it for what it is. I I think it's, um, at the moment, still making a mountain out of a molehill. Uh, But, you know, we'll see how the the recovery goes for him in the coming months, and you see if he's able to play in training camp, um, you know, and if the the season begins. And, you know, if if he does play this year, um, you know, if he makes the team in week one or whatever, um, you know, I believe he's still covered by termination pay. As even if he got released, so his his salary should be protected um for twenty twenty three once he makes the regular season, or if he makes the regular season, and as long as um, that foot is not injured again, uh, his salary is also protected for twenty twenty four to the same extent that it it was prior to this. um You know, a couple people asked me why I was still showing dead money in his contract is guaranteed, and that's because his body is completely guaranteed just like it was before with the exception of his one foot and probably a very specific part of the foot, um, you know, uh, some related to the ankle, um, you know, or something along those lines. So, you know, it's uh, it, it's protected for just about anything. And if they just wanted to release him Because, you know, they they didn't like the way he was playing and they were trying to claim that the foot was still injured. Um, You know, you'd end up with a grievance uh, regarding uh, regarding that kind of termination. So you wait to see how it goes. Uh, Bill signed a big contract extension uh, at Oliver yesterday. I don't don't know where that came from. I I don't know what they were seeing. Uh, 17 million a year. Maybe this is going to be one of those deals where that $17 million is reached because that last year the contract is $30 million. Um, I know the defensive tackle market has jumped up. Um, you know, it, it seemed like this was probably pegging him to, like, the, the Jones-Zach Allen kind of deals that came out this year and just kind of giving a premium because he's a first-round pick. Um I don't know. I I thought that was just kind of a little bit of a mistake of a deal. But we're going to wait to see uh, what those numbers actually are when they do come out. I I haven't seen them yet, Um, you know, to see what's the the realistic portion of it. It, This reads a little bit more to me like a team needing salary cap space and deciding this is the way to do it um, versus anything else. You know, the defensive tackle market is a little hard to project sometimes a player like him uh, the way he's been, I would say his first four years, more or less they're, they're gonna fall in that category of, you know the guys who do make 13 million ish a year. Um, you know so maybe with the market increasing, maybe eventually that jumps up to that 17 number that was reported. Um, you know, but maybe but th- those kind of players too, You know, some years you'll see those players get thirteen million a year. Other years you'll you'll see them completely fall by the wayside, and you know they'll have to sign a one-year prove-it deal for eight million. Um, You know, they they might sign a one-year prove-it deal for five. You know, it's a there's there's some randomness um, you know that comes in with that simply because there's a lot of decent um, defensive tackles who are typically available unless the guys are legitimate. You know, pass rushers, you know, the guys who are legit pass rushers, they they're never really available in free agency. But a lot of the other players are. So there's a lot of competition for jobs. So I don't know. I, I'm pretty surprised at Buffalo doing that. They, they've made some moves. Um, you know, in the last two years, you know, I mentioned this on Twitter yesterday. You know, it, it's ring chasing. Um, you know, when they did that Von Miller deal, it's just like, what are you doing? Like where is that coming from? You know, and then you—it's you, just you see like a, a bunch of little things. Um, you know, even guys that they brought back this year. And I know they're bringing them back for probably just a year. Um, and it's not like they're—they're they're big expensive deals, but it, it's like that—that's not the way to extend a window. You know, your your window in the NFL is very short, and. There's so much roster turnover that when you have these playoff runs where, you know, and I, I don't want say to say the seasons are unsuccessful. Um, last year, maybe you could read it that way. They struggled a bit down the stretch. And, you know, obviously they had that awful loss in the playoffs. Um, year before was more of a disappointing finish where you just had that crazy game between them and the Chiefs. But... You know, it, it's like your window usually is two years uh, with a group of players. And for Buffalo, those two years were probably 2020 and 2021. And trying to add like a Von Miller, um, you know, trading for the running back in the middle of the season, uh, which is fine. You know, they, they they were hoping for something there. Um you know, extending certain players or redoing the deals to give them a little bit of a raise to maybe make them happy, your team was probably not going to be as good in 2022 as they were in 2021. And I, I don't think they were as good. And I, I know people will point to the Von Miller injury um, as, you know, just kind of a, a real big negative that was there. But, you know, that, that's something you should have probably projected would happen. Um, you know, given Miller's age and history, you know, Miller is the kind of player, much like what you saw happen with the Rams, that's the kind of player you bring in mid season. That's when you know things are going good, and you're like, all right, let, let's see who we can bring in from another team and you know, add him to a team that we know is a contender. We've only got to deal with the salary for eight weeks or something like that. Um, You know, get them acclimated to the system, get them acclimated to our our players and, you know, just have them ready and ready to go, hopefully for the playoffs, Um, you know, versus making a giant, you know, three year commitment or whatever it is to just an older football player. Um, You know, the the Bills, no team has probably worked free agency better than Buffalo. You know, they, they, they are not a team that has typically been made up of a bunch of homegrown players. Um, you know, obviously their biggest star is, but they're not a team that's really been built that way. Um, they're a team that's been built a lot from the outside. You know, really, I'm not going to say perfect free agent signings, but very good free agent signings. Um, you know, overall, a lot of, lot of guys that weren't misses. Uh, trades that have worked out incredibly well um but you know they they're they're buying into something that probably you know even though they're saying well you know don't expect us to make the splashes we made the year before and that was true they didn't um you know because they don't want to go down the the total devastating salary cap road that you know we've seen the Falcons and the Bears and some other teams go down but they're not optimizing what they're going to be able to do in the future it's like, yeah, we're we're not making a big signing here and there, but we're making a bunch of kind of mid-level signings. They're not going to be too negative impacting, but if you take all of those together, you know that is like adding a big player too. Um, you know, I, I've said for a long time, I, I thought that that was the best front office in football, and I, I still think they're a very good front office, but. If they have a year where Josh Allen gets hurt, and i ain't gonna say this about any team that's got a quarterback but or that doesn't get their quarterback going, if they have a year where he gets hurt, Buffalo, the Buffalo, I think, has potential to go into a complete tailspin., um, I think that that's actually how they've kind of set up this roster at this point now. Is to where if they do get one of these years where Allen just, you know, gets walloped early in the season, um, I I don't think that that's something they recover from. You know, I I think Kansas City could deal with Patrick Mahomes being gone for, you know, a portion of the year and at least be respectable. Um, You know, obviously everything runs through him, much like in Buffalo, everything runs through Allen. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the the Buffalo roster at this point would just kind of fall apart. Um, you know, I think there's, you know, you you have a couple of these players who are a little bit older, and I think there'd be a lot of concern about them going through the whole season. And if you don't have Allen to cover for that, I'd be a little bit worried as to, um, you know, where that would go. So, I don't know. I, I think that Buffalo has you know I, I lost their way is the phrase that i i use like th- these are things that i i think when you pull yourself out of the situation if they would kind of pull themselves out of it and you take an overview and you go you know we wouldn't do that you know we we wouldn't do things that way uh but then when you get this close and you keep getting that close and you just don't get over the hump um you know, it hurts you. And, you know, if you're looking at things like an arms race and, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's the right way to, to, to phrase it, but, um, you know, you look at the Bengals. Now, the Bengals have to sign a lot of players, but they're ninth in cap room in 2024. Uh, the Chiefs, you know, they're 13th in cap room in 2024. They, they don't have as much to sign. They, they have a couple guys to do. Um, you know, Jones being the main one. I think that would come up. You look at the Bills, 25th in projected cap room, you know, in 2024. So, you know, that they, they have a lot that's invested in this. You know, the Bills in 2025, um, 28th in the league. And I know that's going pretty far out because you got a lot of uh, places that you can go there, um, you know, to make changes. But, you know, you, you just look and it, it starts to follow a pattern that you would expect to see from someone like the Saints. Um, you know, the, the couple years from now, you know, the Bills, 20, uh, 30th in cap room. So it's not like there's any give up at all. It's just at some point you're probably going to take a hit in dead money for players you're going to have to release. Um. But, you know, your, your roster is more or less set up as a, you know, what you see is what you get. You know, you, your only additions are going to come, you know, in the draft. And if you try to add anywhere else, you're just going to be pushing more and more money, um, you know, into the future in the cap to bring in typically lesser and lesser players, um, you know, is what's going to happen. So yeah, I, I'm not, not crazy about, uh, you know, what the bills have done here but the you know th- there's other teams that have you know you know gotten by with doing similar stuff and uh you know things can change and the quarterback's terrific so wait to see but yeah I, I was not a big fan of this move but uh, let's wait I guess until the full contract details come in before uh you know criticizing that one a little too much uh yeah you know, one other thing I, I, this was an interesting discussion uh this week so you guys know that there's not a lot of time that I get to listen to different podcasts, but usually I try to catch a lot of times. The Sumer Sports One, uh, you know, Kevin Cole's Unexpected Points. I, I like both of those a lot. Um, you don't know, get a ton of time, so I don't get to listen to all of them. Uh, but you know, I find them pretty interesting. But on the Sumer one this week, they did a uh, kind of a quarterback draft where you were kind of taking contracts in, into account. And I missed the criteria at the beginning of it. I didn't want to go back. I was uh, listening to a lot of it live. And, um, you know, I didn't want to go. I, I didn't get a chance to go back and see exactly what the criteria was. But I, I did think that that was kind of an interesting exercise. And, you know, just wanted to look at some of those numbers now um, as for, you know, why you might rank certain players in certain spots. So the number one pick overall that they had uh, there was Mahomes and number two was Josh Allen. And that makes sense to me uh, because the first thing, obviously, you're looking for, you, know, you need a quarterback. You need a guy who's a proven talent. And unlike other positions in the NFL, quarterbacks last a pretty long time. So when you've got guys in their, you know, 20s or early 30s, you still are probably going to get, depending on the style that they play, um, you know, a pretty a pretty good amount of years um, past that. You know, there's probably more concern with Allen than there would be Mahomes simply because of, you know, the, the way that um, Allen is used with the, the running um, stuff that's there and some of the hits that maybe he's going to take for that. But You know, these two, you know, far and away, these are the best contracts in the NFL. So if you look, um, if you just look at this from this standpoint, Mahomes has nine years remaining under contract. Average salary cap hit of $48.23 million uh, on a long-term deal, meaning anything more than... um, you know, two years, that would be fifth in the NFL. So that's that's your top quarterback in the league is fifth from a salary cap perspective. And when you factor in, you know, what some of these guys are going to get, like a Joe Burrow, you know, let, let's say Joe Burrow signs 55 million for five years um, plus his existing numbers. You're going to get seven years. You're going to get an effective cap on that of about 43 million. That's assuming that he, he signs, um, you know, now. So you're talking about Mahomes nine years at 48 versus Burrow would probably be seven years at about 43. Um, you know, I, I think that's a no-brainer. You, you take Mahomes over that. Josh Allen is a six-year contract, six years remaining, average cap hit 43.6 million on the remaining portion of his deal. So again, I think when you look at, you know, the talent um, of those two players and you look at those those existing salaries, you know, it, that to me just makes sense because you you're going to have unless you think Burrow and Herbert are better than both of those guys. And I don't think anybody would even remotely claim that they're better than Mahomes. I don't think anyone would really even say that about Allen they're probably both going to be right about the same cost as those guys once they sign their extensions, which are coming this year um, or next year or whatever it's going to be. Their effective cost is going to be identical. So I think it absolutely makes sense to have Mahomes number one, Josh Allen number two. And I almost look at those guys as kind of their own tier um, with I think a pretty big gap between Mahomes and Allen. But uh, you know, I, I would look at those two as kind of their own tier. I think the next two that you would look at would be Burrow and Herbert. And I, I think, you know, where I mentioned they're going to be in that 43 to – four. if they get a deal this year, you know, 43 to $42 million uh, effective over seven years, um, that's a pretty good contract to to have, you know, there as well. So I, I think that is probably where I would go with my top four. Um, you know, I, I think – Even though those guys are getting extensions, I think that's all a good place to be. Now, the the money that those guys are going to get is probably going to be very similar to the effective value of someone like a Jalen Hurts, who's also at 43. Kyler Murray's at 43. I think those two guys are better um, than both of those two. So I, I think that that's one that I would look at there. So I think I would go one, two, three, four. And then from that point forward, I think then I'm just dropping down. And I'm looking at guys who are, um, you know, on rookie contracts, you know, where you're looking at Trevor Lawrence. Um, he, you know, he's been the one guy who has been kind of, you know, he stood out at least a little bit from his group, and you have still got a little bit of time, um, you know, before he gets that deal. So, you know, you, you can factor his money in and, you know, seeing where he would be, you know, his. Moving forward from here, you'd probably be looking at eight effective years or nine effective years versus Burrow, uh, which is, you know, that's going to be seven effective. So here you'd probably be looking at a nine and you're getting that real cheap year in here. So I, I think that would be a uh, that'd be the guy that you'd probably look at as number five. And I think then you probably are just kind of throwing darts as to what you thought about the first round players from this year. Um you know, and I think that would probably be your next group of players unless you wanted to go Hurts, um, which you could do. You know, you, you could always do that as your, your next possibility. But I, I think it would be, you know, what do you what do you think of the guys who just got drafted? Um, you know, I, I don't have their numbers in front of me here only because none of them, I don't think any of them have officially signed their deals. So I, I didn't include them in there. But, you know, I, I think that's how I would look at it. Um You know, there's a couple of interesting players when you get here, and this is what happens sometimes when you you kind of make a mess um, of some of the deals and you take out the voids and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, one of the players that got mentioned was Dak Prescott. And, you know, you can make an argument he's the best quarterback in the NFC. Um, Now, this is one that I I believe made their list. I don't even think I I would put him on a list of players that I would pick up. And the reason is just because the way his contract is structured, you know, it, it's it's kind of a mess. Um, you're looking at a player who has an average remaining cap hit for two active years. That's all you get on his current contract. So, you know, if you want to look at him as a, a player who was a, um, uh, going back to when he signed at $40 million a year, yeah, you would include that contract the same way that you would be looking at a Jalen Hurts kind of deal and saying, yeah, yeah, that's viable as a player that you would take in a redraft. Dak Prescott's salary cap obligations for two years average $61 million a year. Now, Dallas has void years in there, so they'd, they'd be able to spread that out over three years versus two. But still, the effective amount of cap room that you're spending on him is $62 million. And obviously, he wants an extension and you already made him the highest paid player in the NFL, you're going to make him the highest paid player again. Let, let's just say for whatever, let's say it's $57 million a year. You know, if he signs after all these other guys play and it's another four year deal. So you add that 228 to, you know, all these existing salary cap charges, you know, that he's got at the one twenty-two. Um, you know, you, you'd have six years invested in him at an average cost of $58.5 million a year. Like, you you can't take that player at all. You just can't. You know, Mahomes is 48. Josh Allen, 43. Jalen Hurts, 43. Kyler Murray, 43. Stafford, 42. Daniel Jones, 40, uh, 40.7. Um, Derek Carr, 37.5. You know, Burrow, Herbert, we talked about those guys. Their effective cap values are going to be like 43, 44. Um, same thing, um, you know, with the Lawrence group and all those other guys. As long as you do those extensions during that period of time, you know, th- those are viable players to have. You know, you, you look at Prescott, you know, at 58-5. I mean, that's just not – Deshaun Watson um, – Average cap hit fifty-five million dollars a year. You know, now that again, there's void years to get an extra year there, but it still doesn't matter. It still means that you're accounting for fifty-five million dollars for four years of play. It's just it's it's too much. Um, you know, relative to the rest of these players. You know, Aaron Rodgers, fifty five million for two years. Like that, that's insane. Lamar Jackson is 52 for five, so at least you know that and Watson at least are lock-ins, you know because of the period of time. Kirk Cousins, you know they, they have 49 million dollars that they have to account for on the cap for Kirk Cousins. Now they're pushing most of it into next year when he's going to leave the team probably, but let's say he gets an extension for Russell Wilson money or something like that, you know 48, 49 million a year. I don't know if he really would, but I mean. You're not going to win with those kind of numbers. Yeah, you know, they're just way too high. Uh, Wilson's at 46. Tannehill just has the one year left at 46. Um, you know, Jared Goff at 32. You know that that's at least reasonable. You know, Geno Smith's at 25. Garoppolo eh, 24. You know, so it's really those two players, the two guys who are going to sign the extensions. And I, I think it's a it's a pretty big gap between the next group, which would be the Hurts, the Kyler Murray. Um, you know, I, I think that's a pretty big gap. And I, I think I'd put Lawrence in that gap, too, because I, I don't think we've seen enough, um, you know, to, to kind of count him in there. But I, I thought this was interesting. But, uh, you know, their discussion was interesting on it. But I, I think, you know, when, when you just look at these numbers, it just shows you the different benefits – um, of extending a player early versus you know kind of holding off a little bit, like was done with Prescott, or when you trade for a guy like a Deshaun Watson, you know, and you redo the deal. Um, and just what happens when you you just kind of fiddle with these contracts too much, like the Prescott stuff, you know that that's eye opening. You know, when when you have those kind of numbers, basically. You're putting all your all your ability to really be successful in the front end of a contract for a player like that. You know, you, you're you're really doing that. You're not leaving yourself a lot of leeway on the back end, and you're really putting yourself in a position to where you need to extend the player. And you know, in Prescott's case, you know he he's been banged up. You know he he feels like. You know he's still pretty young, but he feels like he's on the older side of that uh, older side of that spectrum. Like when when you look at the quarterbacks and you say, yeah, you know they should be able to get a lot of effective time out of them until they're like 34, 35 is the year where you say that that's where the breakdown is going to occur. Um, you almost feel like Prescott's not going to get there. You know what? Let, let me look up Dak's numbers and stuff. Uh, you know, maybe similar to like a Wilson situation, you know, so he'll be 30 this year and, you know, we only played five games in 2020 played 16 and 21 uh, played 12 last year. You just wonder, you know, is this going to be like a lot of, um, you know, a lot of kind of come down, um, you know, from that, you know, numbers wise, um, you know last year his numbers were you know pretty far down um you know 240 yards a game passing um you know granted the offense ran differently but uh you know they, they might have a new system in there this year but you know it's that's the kind of player you know where you look at it you're really gonna you you're gonna screw yourself over on that contract probably and this is exactly what happened with them with Tony Romo um exactly what happened with them you know you, you voided out his deal to the extent from a salary cap perspective it was a mess you basically give the player a blank check to write their own next contract and in romo's case he was at the age where that breakdown was going to occur there there were some warning signs already there um, you know with injuries and stuff like that and just being banged up but he came off that one you know pretty terrific season and uh you know, gets that big extension, basically never plays, um, you know, and that you kind of feel like they're, they're set up to be Denver with Russell Wilson, at least it won't cost them draft picks, but you know, the effective value is going to be 12 to 13, 12 to actually probably 12 to $15 million a year more, um, for Prescott than what the Broncos are going to pay for Wilson just simply because of the timing of the deals and the fact that the Broncos picked him up with lower number existing salaries versus Dallas having pushed all those salaries to the back end of the deal. So, um, you know, I, I I would not put him from a contractual perspective up high at all. You know, if he, if he were doing 10... Mahomes, Allen, I think Hurts would be in there. I think Murray would be in there. Burrow Herbert, that's six. Um, Lawrence would be seven. The question would be would you want Lamar Jackson at 52? Or just blank shots at the rookies? I might go blank shots at the rookies over Jackson at 52. Yeah, Jackson's another player who's hurt a lot. Um, you know, I think the last two years, he's like 12 games. Let's see, who was Jackson at? I'm going to say 12 games a year. Yeah, 12 games, 12 games. Um, you know, I don't blame him for kind of maybe um, being very cautious with his injury. I think a lot of teams probably looked at that as a negative. Um, You know, that's just kind of my opinion on it. Uh, So I I don't know. I I think it would be those guys that you would take your shots at as your veteran group or your closer to veteran group. And then I think you're just looking at the guys that were drafted last year wasn't much of a group. So I think it would be just the players who were drafted this year. Um, You know, when you would, you would do that. Uh, Justin Fields might be interesting, but I have a feeling that the effective payments still end up being high, and I, I think he's below some of these other guys in terms of um, you know ceiling probably as a player. Um, you know, to to include him there, but I, I think it would be then you're just the first round picks from this year. Take your pick as to how you want to rank them, and you put those guys in there because they're so cheap that. know you're just trying to build around that and if they end up being incredibly effective now you've got a great chance to have a run for the next couple of years and if you you play your cards right with the way that you structure the contract um off the rookie deal you know you have a very long time with that but the negative is they may end up being zach wilson which you know obviously is not a would not be a great use of resources, but I think that's the risk reward that you uh, that you have with all those players. But it, it's worth doing. Uh, but yeah, I check out their um, their show, and um, you know you can uh, watch that and you can see their discussion on it. But uh, I just thought it was interesting to break down the contracts this way. Um, you know, to see the remaining value and how you would kind of compare that to I think remaining value that you would anticipate on the field from those players. All right, let's take a look at some questions here. I had a couple by email, which I'll probably end up missing. Um, let's see if I can find a couple here. Digging through, I'm trying to go back in my email to make sure I don't miss anything too crazy. Let's see. think anything there okay so let me start with this one couple of jets know this is probably an email question but i'll talk about it anyway uh jordan whitehead's cap number has been updated previously uh it would be savings of 75 now it looks like his contract was renegotiated best guess it took a two million dollar pay cut to guarantee most of his salary this year and they had the void years mm-hmm. to lower it so yeah that that's exactly what happened with that deal um so I'll try to email this one um, when I get a chance there. Uh, Colin had a question here. I read in crunching numbers that Thursday night football revenue is distributed to owners at a higher rate than the other media revenue. Is that still the case? Does new flex scheduling help owners more than the players? Oh, you know, I'd, I'd have to look that up. I'm not sure if they really changed that. I I didn't look into the revenue equation It always seems as if the the way the breakdown ends up working anyway because the TV contracts are so high, it just seems to be the uh, ultimate number um, is always reached, whatever it is, the 48%, I think it is, uh, 48.5. Maybe there's a kicker with the extra game or whatever. Um, It seems as if that kind of takes precedence over everything um, regarding the deals. But before, yeah, it was structured in a way that that was like an NFL Network property. So it it was a, um, it fell into a different group, but I would think uh, I'll, I'll have to try to look that up. Um, I would think that's probably been revised only because you know streaming and that kind of stuff is is much more viable as a a media presence and certainly revenue stream than it was when the con- when the original one was signed in twenty eleven. Um, you know that that was more of a you know, was not as big of a deal, um, you know, back in that point in time. Uh, Let's see, Kevin. Oh, nope, this is something else. And I do have to email him too and just keep getting caught up with other stuff. All right, let's go to Twitter. And let's see. All right, just a couple questions here. This will be the quickest podcast we've done in quite some time. Black Gold. Uh, with the Quinn and, will- and Williams... I think this Williams. Negotiation. How much money do the Jets stand to gain letting this play out until the tag year compared to paying him what he's asking for? Assume $27 million uh, per year asking. Um, I don't know. You know, if the Jets are going to let this play out, you know, the, the tag next year... What's the cost of the franchise tag? Tag next year would probably be in the ballpark of 21-ish, 22, depending on where the cap winds up. Um, you know, if the Jets are going to let this play out, you're basically assuming that he's going to play this year um, and you're looking at this completely as a two-year window opportunity where you would tag him. Uh, You would pay his salary this year, you know, you would pay him the 20-something next year, and then the following year after that, which would be, in theory, Rogers would be gone at that point in time. Um, You would probably tag a second time, but just for the sole purpose of trying to trade him and seeing what market would exist. If, you know, the Jets' plan is to extend him on like a five-year deal, four-year deal, whatever the case may be, they've cost themselves a couple of million dollars by waiting this long. Um, I'm not sure how much more the market is really going to go up. So, I mean, the, the Jets can probably, it's probably not going to be as impactful if they they wait until, you know, August. Um, the time to for the Jets to have gotten this deal done was February, late February, early March. Uh, you know, combine time kind of stuff. Because it, it was just too many things came rolling in after that. So that was probably the time for them to get the deal done, and they failed to do it. But from this point forward, I I, I don't think that they're going to get impacted in a way to where that price is going to go even higher um, for this year. But certainly if they let this year play out and he has another good season, you know, now, now you're getting into territory where, you know, you definitely cost yourself Um you know, but if the plan is just doing a franchise tag, then you know you can go through it. But it's going to be it's a bad look for the Jets. This is the first big contract they get to do, and they're really kind of blowing it. Um, you know, now I, I I can understand if the Jets don't see him as that kind of player. You know, this is you know Williams may very well end up being a one season wonder. You know, he doesn't he doesn't play as much as some of these other guys. The consistency has not been there in the past. He's been more of a flash. Uh, last year was the first year where things really started to come together, to where you saw consistency. Now he still wasn't going to be a you know eighty percent playtime kind of guy, um, but that consistency was there with what he was doing. So you know it depends. You know go, going into last year, I would have said the Jets are probably going to let him walk after this season. That they probably won't offer him as, uh, an extension. Um, but you know, you you couldn't, you couldn't never do that after what he did this past year. So, you know, but it, 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 this is one of the things that drives you crazy sometimes with them. It, the Jets sometimes come across as like they they say things, um and there's no truth to them whatsoever. And I I, I can't say that's the case here or not the case here, but. You know, historically, that, that's been one of the things, whether that is Joe Douglas not knowing what the contract side of things are at the moment or him just saying what he thinks is the right thing to say as a general manager. Um, I think the Jets have a, a reputation of saying things that aren't necessarily accurate. Um, and so th- this might at least be a, a opportunity for them to kind of change that narrative that might exist about them um, if they do get a deal done, but, you know, we'll have to, to wait to see. Douglas said it's going to happen or said that they're, you know, along in talks and whatnot. So you, you wait to see, um, with that. And Baba, should Burrow just play out his contract plus tags to hit free agency in four years time? So if you're looking to maximize <coughs> your career earnings as a quarterback, And you are looking to do what is in the quote-unquote best interest of your teammates, which is what many guys will claim to do, uh, absolutely 100%. Because once you get to that third tag, you basically can just punch your own ticket for the rest of your career. And, you know, as I mentioned before, quarterbacks can deal with the fact that the first tag means giving up money in the present. And so so does the second tag. You know, two tags is giving up money – if we're talking about a regular tag versus an exclusive, depending on the the time, um, you know, so what those exclusive prices will be, yeah, they're giving up money to do that, but it typically will level out probably by the third tag, simply because of the size of the raise that's on there, and then you have the ability to just kind of do what you want. And you know, if you're a young guy that comes into the league, let's say you're 22 years old and you're going through or 20, let's even say 23. Um, you know, your first tag will be 28, I guess is what that would be. Uh, you know, 29 and 30, um, would be the way that that would work out. I, I really wish some of these guys would push for the no franchise tag in their rookie deals. You should have that kind of leverage, but man, nobody ever tries to push for it. But, um, you know, you could be 30 years old. You'll make just about what everybody else would have made anyway, you know, had you signed an extension by that point in time. And now you're going to be able to sign yourself to probably a three-year deal that is just ridiculous amount of money as a free agent and then reopen yourself up again at 34 years old to another contract that's just like a ridiculous amount of money as a, a free agent. So, um yeah, I think that's the right way to play. It blocks the franchise tag from being used on all the other players in your team. So they're gonna get to go to free agency and sell themselves. And if you are a wide receiver, you know, that's an incredibly lucrative market. If you're a pass rusher, that's an incredibly lucrative market. So, you know, I, I in my mind, yeah, that that's that's the way to play these things. But I can also understand why they don't. The the money is so big it's like, well, you know, you, you may as well just take it and, you know, everybody loves you for taking the contract. Um, and you, you don't get into the, you know, all the smearing that goes on when you, you can't get a deal done. Nick, the Vikings seem to currently have more unresolved than any team right now. Can you walk me through what you might expect to happen with Cook and the money it'll take to get Hunter, Jefferson, Hutchinson all happy? Um, I, I don't understand what's gone on with Dalvin Cook. I, I don't get why Dalvin Cook is... Still on the Vikings. Um, Let me look him up. Cook's salary this year, he's got a small guarantee that's in there. Um, His salary cap number this year is 14.1. They would have saved about $6 million if it was a pre-June, post-June. They saved nine. Uh, They owe him two. Some of that would come... As an offset, uh, nobody is going to take that salary on this year. Like, I, I don't understand this this idea that, like, oh, well, the Vikings are going to trade him. Um, you know, it, it's like you, you look at that and you go, well, what are, what are you going to get, you know, for this type of player? And, you know, he, he's a player who is capable of the occasional home run play. And the rest of the time is probably going to give you very little. Um, you know, a yard here, two yards there, three yards there. You know, so that that's something there. Uh when you look at salaries, so for twenty twenty-three, you know, his salary this year is one, two, three, four, tied for third highest in the NFL at eleven million. Um top salary this year goes to the rookie Robinson at 13.8 Christian McCaffrey is next at 12 million dollar salary um Alvin Kamara Aaron Jones and Dalvin Cook are all at 11 million dollars so who is gonna who is gonna trade for the you know fifth highest paid contract or third highest paid contract at the position and when we get down to um well okay what are they willing to pay so for Zadarius Smith they picked up about 1.1 1.2 million dollars even if they did the same even if they just picked up the guaranteed portion on this the 2 million bucks which gets it down to 9 he would still be uh 3 4 11th you know it, it's like in my mind to make it even reasonable to trade for a player like Cook you need to get his salary down to probably like the 5 6 million dollar level With, you know, whatever kind of opportunities to, you know, earn some more money through, um, you know, incentives or something like that. But you would have to, you know, bring that salary down, you know, huge. And I can't see why he'd be willing to do that. I don't know why Minnesota would eat that kind of money just to to grab a random pick. Um, So I I don't understand why why this has been dragging on. for that now, at the same point in time, they have cap room, um, so they they do have some space they can operate with. So it's not like this was a super pressing need. Um, you know, they do have flexibility in some other spots, but you know, I I, I don't know about you know what makes these other players happy. Um, you know, Hunter, you know, 18 million, $20 million, you know, probably something like that is what he's going to look for. Um, you know, Hawkinson. You know, probably 15 a year. You know, we're right, right around that top. I, I don't know if anyone's going to look at that Waller deal anymore as anything, you know, at the 17 number, but, you know, somewhere in that upper level um, of players. You know, Jefferson, Jefferson's a different beast. You know, that's that to me is a player that should be asking for like 30. Um, you know, they'll probably offer him 25, 26, you know, just over the, the legitimate market numbers here. Um you know, I don't know. They, they've, they're just, it was not a great situation to come into, but I still feel as if they, they've done very little to fix that situation in Minnesota. Um, but, you know, you wait to see as to what's going to go on there. Uh But I, I don't really get the Cook thing. Um if Jimmy G's contract is voided due to the ankle injury, does this mean his contract doesn't count in the comp picks? No, it would still count. It, it's still – the contract itself isn't voided. What voids is the, the guarantee language in the contract. The guarantee the, – the injury waiver supersedes basically the guarantee that's in there, and it makes that clause null and void. But the contract itself, itself is still an active NFL contract assuming a 100 million dollar for Quinnen and rodgers what will the jets cap situation uh look like in 2024 i don't know that that's a wait and see you know right now you've got rodgers plugged in on the jets at uh you know like a 100 million dollar cap hit next year so you know it's like you, you look at these cap numbers and none of this stuff really is legitimate you know, Jets fifty one million dollars over the cap next year, um, and that'll be a little bit higher. You know, they have a couple of rookies that they have to sign, but it's just going to depend on how much they shift to Rogers. So right now, the Jets have about twenty five million in cap space. Uh, my assumption is that Williams deal will be a neutral on the cap, maybe even create like two million in cap room. Um, Jets still have money they can create with C J Mosley for this year, if need be. Uh, they're going to lose a couple million still to rookies, um, not a ton, but that they, they might lose a couple of players, uh, a couple of million here and there. So I, I would guess Rogers' cap hit is probably going to end up eighteen million this year, give or take a little bit. You know, probably something like fifty million next year. Um, you know, so I, the, if you take that into account. Um, you know, just as a rough guess, I would imagine the Jets before you get into the the whole cutting of players and all that stuff will probably be probably neutral on the cap. You know, probably be right around whatever the cap limit is, assuming they they also resign Williams um, to a deal. You know, and then then you just start you know seeing what you slice and dice. You know, uh, I I still think they'll come to some agreement with Mosley to take a ton off his cap this year and. You know 2024 probably as well and guarantee both years um you know you you might be walking from lake and tomlinson at that point that saves you eight um you can save five million if you can find a sucker to trade for wilson um you know uzama those guys save you about five million conklin if he goes that's another five that you save so, you know, you, you've got a couple of guys there, uh, Franklin Myers, 7-4, you know, if you if you wanted to go down that route. Um, you know, I, I don't think they're going to be in a position where they have a lot of cap room to spend. Um, you know, but I, I think that they'll, they'll be okay with it. But you, right now they're in a big state of flux because of that Rodgers deal. And, you know, obviously if Rodgers walks away, well, you know, that's different too. But, um, you know... We'll see, Brian. Might you be going to any games this year? Probably not. Um, I think Jacob would be too young to take to a game. I'd take him to a summer game, you know, a preseason game or something like that. But uh, sometimes it still um, still can get a little too too rowdy for the the younger kids. I think there, and he gets uh, you know probably he gets too bored. He'll he'll be more interested in going inside and trying to get some hot dogs and watching videos on my phone versus watching the game. So I don't think I'll go to any games, um, this year, but maybe, you know, maybe if, uh, if something comes up, but I I think it would be going with, uh, with him. And I, I don't think that, I don't think there would be that kind of interest from him this year. Uh, will the Seahawks face any salary cap issues in the near future? um, off the top of my head, I don't think so. You know, the, the, the contract is one of those that they can get out of with Geno Smith without too, too much trouble. Um, you know, let me see where they rank you know, the middle of the league next year in cap space. Um, bottom third of the league in 2025, but I, I don't, I don't, look at that and be like, yeah, they're in a position where they're going to have cap troubles because either Geno Smith is going to be really good and he's going to be affordable for being really good or Geno Smith is going to be pretty bad and they're going to have a younger guy, um, taking snaps for him and, uh, you know, he'll be cheap. So I I think they will be okay. Two Browns questions. What would a Hopkins deal look like for two or three years? Um, and should the Browns restructure Garrett or Cooper deals for additional rollover space? Um, I don't know what a Hopkins deal. I I, I look at Hopkins as a one ten. Now I never thought Beckham would get fifteen though. Uh, but I would look at this as like a very similar deal to uh, Michael Thomas. You know th- those types of players. Um, one ten or one up to ten, probably one ten up to fifteen, something like that. Obviously nobody was looking to take him at twenty. I think there's a lot of people that think he's done. I think there's a lot of people that think he's uh, you know a little bit over the hill. Um, so I, I think you have to find a team that basically thinks that he's someone that can really help them now. Um, I'd mentioned the Browns months ago as a potential landing spot only because the Browns are pretty aggressive and, uh, you know, there's a history there with Deshaun Watson. The thing that I wouldn't like about Hopkins, if I was the Browns, he's a late career player, which is always iffy, um he's a late career player that's played in more or less indoor environments, Houston, Arizona. I, I do, I, you know, I, I don't want to bring a player like that in now. Doesn't mean you, you know, you can't be that kind of player. Right. Um, but I don't know, you know, playing in the AFC South, playing in the NFC West, um, I almost feel like a player like that towards the latter stages of their career, that's not the time I want to bring them out East where so many of my games are going to be outside, going to be in the colder weather. I almost feel like that, that's not the time you, you bring that kind of player in to take that chance to be like, number one, can he still be the player that he was in the past? Number two, can he be that kind of player in a completely different type of playing environment? I, I would be probably negative on that. Um, so I, I don't know what a three year deal would look like. I'd be I, I couldn't imagine Cleveland doing that kind of deal with him. Um, you know, this would be a one year deal with a low cap hit this year, and uh, you would just push the money off to void years in the future. Um, should they restructure Garrett of the Cooper deals for additional cap room? Um, uh, that, that's up to them. I, I I don't know if they, I don't know if there's much in Garrett's deal that they could even gain. Um, what's Miles Garrett at this year? Because I know his thing was structured with all those options, but maybe they're past that stuff by now. Oh yeah, no, they're, they're, they're fine with him. He's got a 17 two, 5 Um... I'm actually surprised they haven't redone his deal. Just looking at it. Um, So my assumption is they would prefer to not touch either of these two deals. I'm just just looking at the stuff here, unless they absolutely have to. And my guess is more likely what they're looking to do is to redo these deals uh, with probably not Cooper because I, I don't think Cooper's long term probably with the the team uh, it would be Garrett and that's pr- more I think next year um, you know doing some stuff for the future where you start getting into exit planning on that contract um, you know as he gets further and further into it where you're giving yourself more options with these you know kind of trick ways to get around the June ones and stuff like that. Uh, JR, if teams GM was offered a president type role with another team, would they be owed trade compensation? I don't know about that one. The, the NFL has gotten, I know, stricter with some of the different uh names that they they use for positions, so I'm not sure. Uh What's your ideal restructure of a Rogers contract? Um You know, I, I think I, if. I think I would look to split this over three years. So let, let's assume that Rogers is willing to play three years, um, you know, and you, you owe him about 102 or 101 or whatever that is. You know, I, I think I would probably try to aim for, you know, 35 million cap hit this year, 35 million next year and 35 million in void years Um You know, and you would have some protection in there in the event that he did retire to where you could continue to, you know, spread some of those uh, cap numbers around, um, you know, over a three year period versus a two. Um, You know, I I don't see the pay cut as a scenario. I could be wrong on that. Um, I just don't see that. I, I think the Jets need to before they can do that, like they don't have the cap room to do that number that I just mentioned. So, I mean, they have to get some clarity on this Mosley thing. Him at 21-5 just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Um, you know, Corey Davis, it's like, with all these other guys taking pay cuts, how has Corey Davis not been given a pay cut yet? So, my assumption is the Jets, quietly, for all the talk that they have about it, still are not 100% certain on Corey Davis' spot on the team. Um, Because if Corey Davis, if you look at what the Jets have done, right? Whitehead took a uh, $2 million pay cut, give or take a little bit. Um, Who was the other one that they restructured? Um, They restructured another player, didn't they? Carl Lawson was the other one. Lawson took a, a pay cut of... Um... How much did he take? Six million, I think. Yeah, his his he now gets nine. He was gonna earn fifteen. Um you know, there's no reason Corey Davis should still be earning his ten five. Like Corey Davis's, you know, should be six or seven million dollars. So I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that the Jets are working on something there. Because there's there's no logical reason. There's no logical reason for either of those two players to be at those numbers. So my assumption is between those two players, they can create whatever kind of cap room they need um, to get up to around that 30, 35 million for Rodgers. But I think that's what I would do because, you know, you've got your roster that's here. Um, you figure out your ways to to make your cap room for it. Uh, but I, I'd want to have some steady hits, I think, on him to where I can say, okay, we're going to survive through this year. You know, we're going to push it right on the cap. And this is going to be our best chance. Um, to maybe do a little something in free agency next year um, versus that. Then, when do the Jets force Mosley to take a pay cut? Same with Davis. Uh, well, <laughs> I think I just went over that one. Um, But yeah, I, it's got to be this summer for those guys. Uh, with the severe overpay of Ed Oliver, does this finally let the fire into the Jets front office to lock up Quinnen? No, I don't think so. Um, Any free agent moves you'd like to see the Jets make or stand pat? I don't know... Anything that's there, um, you know, that's really even worthwhile. You know, Mercedes, I don't think they've signed him yet, right? Mercedes Lewis. Uh, (laughs) So, no, the answer would be no. Uh, I don't want to do that. You know, let me see who's even available. Just taking a quick peek here. They have safeties, so they don't need a safety. You know, Leonard Floyd come in for the veterans' minimum, plus some benefit money. I mean, maybe. Um, I don't think they need a guy like a Marcus Peters. Probably be too expensive anyway. Um, I wouldn't make a commitment on Ngakwe for anything more than a couple million bucks for a year. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's guys you can add. You know, if Alexander wants to come back for the minimum, you can bring him back. Um, You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think the George Fant thing is pretty much done. You know, it's it's more like, are there any veterans available um, that you think you could fit in on your defense or maybe your offensive line that... Really are coming in because they want to play with Rogers because they think there's a legitimate chance the Jets can win, um, you know, win a Super Bowl or something. Uh, let's see what else do we got here. I'm just about done. Um, Jefferson. Okay, Hertz has a contract that seems to be a big advantage salary cap-wise for the next four years. Is it possible for the Cowboys if Dak still gets his expected totals? So, Hertz's contract is, um, it, it's it's a very high-risk strategy that they're taking there um, with the way they've structured it. You know, Hertz, Hertz is not... Um, he doesn't have the track record of some of these other guys. And the way this deal is structured is that the Eagles are basically, it, it's almost as if they're saying, all right, there's a 70% chance that this guy's our quarterback for the next 10 years and restructuring the contract in that manner. Um, so, I mean, it's a very risky possibility. So if you look at a player like Dak, so first of all, um, you know, where I mentioned before about, all that dead money that he had, uh, all that dead money, sunk costs that he already has in his contract. It's going to be hard just because of that, because he's got so much money remaining in his deal. Whereas when the Eagles signed Hurts, he had like nothing, right? $4 million in his contract versus an average of like $60 million for two years um, for Prescott that you have to account for. But the second thing is the the age. Like you don't want to do that kind of deal for Prescott. You can't do a deal for a guy who's turning 30 that essentially requires you to have him as your quarterback until he's 37 or 38 years old. You, you, you can't do that. So it, they're at different stages of their career. If Dallas was to do that to where they were just like, well, you know what, we need to have as much cap room as possible, so let's do this deal where, you know, we give him this monster signing bonus, minimum salary, monster option bonus, minimum salary, monster option bonus, minimum salary, monster option bonus, minimum salary. You get to a point where Prescott's 34 years old, probably breaking down, you know, similar to like a Tony Rome like Romo did. Um, Romo was a little bit older than that, but, um, you know, around that age you know, breaking down, and you've got millions and millions and millions and millions in dead money that's going to hit the minute you have to put them on the bench. It's like what screwed up Dallas in some ways during the early Prescott years was Prescott wound up being a bailout. This is kind of what's happened with Chicago right now, though Prescott was better than Fields, I think at least. But uh, Prescott bailed out the fact that Dallas signed a, a just not a right timing kind of deal with Romo. And they had a couple of other deals that they did that really didn't work out. And they pushed things too far. They were able to slide through that because their quarterback cost them like $700,000 a year. You know, whatever Prescott's contract was as a mid-round pick. He got them through what was going to be a disaster if their quarterback was going to be broken down Romo and random backups for the the days when Romo's back or ribs or wh- whatever was gonna flare up and not allow him to play. Um, you would be putting yourself right back in that situation, where again you'd be trying to count on, um, you know, either being, I guess, like Fields, where you do get a guy in the mid part of the first round. Um, which is a little bit harder to do, or even worse off to where you've got to get a guy in, like, the fourth round again, like with Dak, and getting through that. So, you know, I don't think Dallas would have any reason to follow that model if they have any desire to, to kind of be competitive for a long period of time. All right, last question. Alex, uh, let's say the Bears have $25 million left in cap space at the start of the season. Do they push that money back, or do they just accept they aren't reaching the limit? Um, so Chicago is going to be fine with all that spending stuff. Uh, that, that's not really based on cap. It's based on cash. Uh, I'll try to do a—after all the rookies finalize getting signed this year. I mean, I, I could do it before that. It's just easier for me this way. Um, you know, I, I'll do a rundown to see where all those teams are. Chicago the money that you spend in the offseason so in other words like contract extensions like let's say uh, Chicago needed 10 million dollars um, to uh to reach a threshold um, they have time to do that you know you you money that you spend in February counts to the prior year Yeah. Um, so you know, you, you it's not a it's I, I wouldn't get worried about the the cash spending for any of these teams, um, you know if that's a concern, you know w- what the Bears are doing, and I think it's a very smart move. Obviously, they spent a lot this off season. Uh, they're keeping a lot in reserve. They still have the most amount of cap room remaining. They'll roll over most of that to next year. It gives you a chance to to add to your team in stages. You add it this year, you add next year versus a couple of these teams that just go crazy and you just take one year and you go, okay, this was our year. And, you know, let, let's see how this works out. Um, so they, they, they were smart to to not go down that path. Um, so I, I think they, they've done things um, in a pretty effective manner there. Um, now of course it's got to work out on the field, uh, but we'll see how, how that plays out for him this year. So, all right, that'll do it for me. So this was a, a quick one relative to uh, the usual timings for this stuff. So not sure if uh, next week we'll be back. Again, it's a pretty busy weekend. Um, if I get an opportunity, I'll try to hop on, um, do something. If anyone has any topic ideas, just uh, shoot them over. But at some point in the next two weeks, we'll sneak another podcast in, even if it's a hour-long one, one of these days. So uh, everybody have a great week, and I'll talk to you all again soon.